Hello, listeners, and welcome to Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. Welcome back. I am your host, Brandy Jackala, and with me today is an extremely special guest, like super duper special, like all the guests are special, but this lady is super special. She holds a PhD in intellectual history and specializes in the fields of science fiction and fantasy, the Gothic, and Indigenous American studies. She also serves as faculty at Lenore Rhine University and Signum University and a staff for the Starship Sofa podcast. And I would like to welcome, oh, I'm so excited, Dr. Amy Sturgis, how the heck are you? Oh, I am very well. Thank you. I hope you are. And I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you. Oh, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to join me. <laughs> and uh, and before we go any further, uh, Dr. Amy does have a website. It is www.amyhsturgis.com. And you can find out all about what she does in her free time and what she does for work on that website there were so many tabs i couldn't go through all of them i just like i i i i'm going into sensory overload <laughs> so and uh, you are also the editor and have a an essay in a book that yes. came out very recently which is called star trek essays <laughs> essays in the final frontier <laughs> i keep messing up the title i apologize I, I've had the opportunity to read some of it, and I have really enjoyed it so far. Uh, I did skip ahead to your essay, I will be honest. Well, thank you so much. So, and it was excellent because I'm a huge Enterprise fan, and uh, I was I was very happy with, with finding an essay about Enterprise and the dichotomy between uh, Archer and Reed, and it was just brilliant. Anyway, oh, I'm so, so glad you're here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, it's my, believe me, my pleasure. So Dr. Amy, tell us about your history with Trek. All right. Well, Trek has really always been in my life. I remember television basically being synonymous with Star Trek when I was young. Before I even started school, I was watching Star Trek, the original series in syndicated reruns at the same time I was watching Star Trek, the animated series in its original run. So I was going back and forth between those and became an instant fan. So then as I was learning to read, I discovered there were Star Trek novels out there. And so I immediately started um, devouring those. And I was one of those kids that had a dictionary in one hand and a, and a novel in the other, trying to, to get through, uh, to, to, you know, adult, uh, prose there, um, reading the, the Star Trek novels. And, uh, I still read Star Trek novels to the, this day. So elementary school, I was a, a fan. I was reading, uh, Star Trek novels. And then when I got a bit older, I realized that my hometown, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma had a great science fiction and comics bookstore, Starbase 21, which also sponsored an annual con, uh, Trek Expo. So I started going to conventions and I discovered fandom and I discovered fanzines and fan art and fan fiction and, discovered another way to connect to and plug into Star Trek. 
eventually I went on to college and graduate school and I got my PhD in history and I do intellectual history, which is the history of ideas. And I focus a lot on the intellectual history of speculative fiction, particularly science fiction, because science fiction is the genre in which the ideas are the heroes. And so I've had the really good fortune over the last, goodness, almost 25 years now <laughs> of being able to write about Star Trek and publish academic work on Star Trek. And I've been able to use Star Trek in the classroom and even get to teach a dedicated master's level class on Star Trek. And so my personal life, my professional life, both have been tied into Star Trek. It's certainly my worldview and my understanding of big ideas and my understanding of history and the way I think about history and the way I think about the future, all connected to and influenced by and inspired by Star Trek. That is fantastic. I I have sort of a similar background in Trek, but not at an intellectual level. And I have never been to a Trek convention. The nearest one is Star Trek Las Vegas or the one done by creation. But the problem is, is that it's always butting up against the local nerd con that we have, which is called Fanex in Salt Lake City. Right. And we do get some Star Trek guests on that, but never any Star Trek guest who is on a currently running show. Ah. Because they have these contractual clauses that say mm. how many appearances they can make. And none of them ever make an appearance at Salt Lake unless they're not on an active show. But we're getting Frakes this time. I'm super excited. I'm going to finally meet Frakes. Fantastic. But I think, though, if I ever did get to go to the creation event in Las Vegas, I would go into sensory overload and probably just short circuit. But uh, <laughs> you know, anyway. That's that's amazing. So how are you feeling about this season of Strange New Worlds so far? I think it's hit the ground running. I have been very impressed with what they've done so far. There are hits and misses, and there are things I'm really hoping to see in the rest of the season that I've missed so far. But on the whole, these three episodes, I think, have been strong. And they've been also different from each other, which I think is very promising. It's not the same note. And uh, so I, I do have nitpicks and things that worked and, and didn't work particularly for this episode but I think uh, for a second season it's very strong and it's also showing a lot of depth in the possibilities for storytelling there yeah we're gone are the days where we used to have a couple of, have to get a couple of seasons of Trek under our belts before it got good exactly the the trust me conversation trust me it gets better <laughs> <laughs> yeah not having to wait quite so long strangely i didn't feel that way about enterprise people are like oh season one oh season two i'm like what show are you watching <laughs> i will agree I... with you there absolutely yeah there are a lot of strong strong episodes in mm -hmm. all seasons of of enterprise so but uh, but the one of course we're going to talk about today is episode 203 which is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow gotta love a shakespeare title they do those a lot <laughs> do so of course we have our cold open the shortest cold open for this season so far <laughs> not a 10 minute cold open like some others 
And uh, it's lovely. It starts with Laon security officer log and uh, security chief's log. And she's uh, going through the ship doing things that no one else wants to do. <laughs> Like mediating an argument between a Denobulan and Chief J. A Denobulan in live action again. Thank yes. you. Yes, I have missed them. And to have that moment that was basically, you know, baggage claim, lost <laughs> lost luggage. That yeah. was not I, I can I can understand why she's frustrated. Yeah, it's like the the transporter doesn't steal from people. <laughs> Poor Chief J. Honestly, if if the transporter is going to do anything, it's going to probably give you something extra. <laughs> so that's true. Something you definitely don't want. Yeah, and that's yeah. happened oh a few times in the history of Trek. Perhaps um, my favorite, of course, was her having to go to Spock and tell him that someone filed a noise complaint. <laughs> Uh, you know, whenever Ethan's on screen, it's magic. So, you know, just just the way he says, I shall make every effort to practice less vigorously going forward. And all of us dropped onto our fainting couches. So <laughs> He definitely maximizes his screen time there. Absolutely. Uh, he, he has a lot of charisma, a lot of charisma, no matter what he's doing. So, uh, and of course, it was a, a lot of fun watching her talk to Pelia about uh, items of suspicious provenance. Yes. <laughs> and oh, that's a fake. And we know it's not actually. <laughs> right. But she talks about the Louvre can stop calling me. I'm yeah. looking forward to a lot more of Carol Kane this season. I really uh, am. You know, Carol Kane is an international treasure, I feel because Absolutely. she just i have loved her ever since the muppet movie <laughs> so <laughs> and all she was was this waitress popping up in random places going yes it's like it's a myth myth yes yeah i'm that weirdo anyway <laughs> so uh that's that's when we hear about her uh, the bunker in vermont that she used to have yes. that just will be useful later yeah. If anything, she's preserving history <laughs> for the future. That's pretty much her mindset, isn't it? And uh, in case anyone didn't know, the the painting in question is The Concert by Vermeer. And uh, oh. it actually was not stolen from the Louvre. <laughs> but it was stolen, apparently. It, it was. It was stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston in 1990. And it was the highest valued item that was stolen. I think it's, uh, if I remember what I read correctly, $250 million worth yeah. of art in that one painting. Nice, nice little Easter egg there, Trek. Yeah, they, they like to do those real world things. And uh, that was a very nice reproduction of that painting, I must say, because obviously it wasn't the actual Vermeer painting. <laughs> but it was very lovely done. And then we get to see her sparring with Mbenga, and I really like this scene because mm -hmm. for all of season one, we did see Laon grow, and she had this sort of catharsis that happened in episode nine when she finally was able to face the Gorn and do something about it and, and not just run and react. She right. could take charge. And that was that was a catharsis, 
but she's still not very good at connecting with people. And Mbenga is a very wise person and is giving her opportunities to open up. Mm -hmm. And uh, she basically says, I don't need to talk. I don't need to be medicated. Um, well, okay, that's your choice, but you definitely need to talk at the very least. And I think it's so powerful seeing how this sets up a bookend that will come back later. Because when he says that bearing all this by herself must be so lonely, mm. by the end, we see her bearing even more by herself. Right. I know, and that that broke me. It's that broke me. Even being told you can't tell anyone about this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's just the the bookends of those those uh, scenes. I think really, like you say, it packs a punch, doesn't it? It does. Well, everybody knows that I'm an a, a very emotional person, extremely in touch with my feelings, and uh, love to talk about them. So. Uh, <laughs> If somebody is going to have that kind of scene, uh, I'm going to be crying for them, whether they're crying or not. And so I was actually crying before she was crying. Mm -hmm. But then when she was crying, I was crying more. So I just start every episode of Strange New Worlds with a tissue in my hand, just in case. Just to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of crying from me for various reasons. It's not always because I'm sad. It's just the ultimate uh, expression of all of my emotions is going to be crying. It starts out as happy, but it's going to end in crying <laughs> because that's how I roll, folks. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. It took me a long time to be okay with that because it was not wanted behavior when I was a child. And, uh, and so I was taught, no, 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 it's wrong to show emotion. And people, teachers at school would say, you're too emotional. You're too this, you're too that, you're too, you're too shy. I hate the word shy. I hate it to this day Ugh. because it has this terrible connotation. And it's like, no, being shy is not my problem. My problem is people expecting me to be like them and I am me, but I didn't figure that out for a really long time. That really is, I think, an ongoing theme of Star Trek, too, mm -hmm. this infinite diversity and infinite combinations. You're seeing, even in these scenes, characters who process things differently, who emote differently or don't, right? And and seeing the validity of their experiences and, and their expressions and uh, how they're all working together when they are different people. And the expectation is not that they're all going to be alike. It's that they're all going to find a way to, yeah. you know, respect each other and work together. Oh, if only I'd known that when I was a kid. Whew, it would have made things a lot easier. <laughs> well, not a lot easier, but the knowledge would have been comforting. So mm. I, I do love that uh, Mbenga, because she's really, really given it to him <laughs> when they're fighting. Yes. And uh, he finally just is like, okay, we're done here. And just uses her own energy <laughs> against her, <laughs> which is a technique in many martial arts. <laughs> so, yes. So that was, uh, yeah, just, just beware because that energy can be challenged against you. Uh, channeled against you excuse me and that so, works on metaphorical levels too doesn't it oh absolutely 
absolutely works on metaphorical levels. And uh, now we're going to get to the, the root of the problem for this season. She's walking down the hall and she hears a whoosh sound according to the subtitles. And this guy in a gray suit stumbles out and falls against one of the bulkheads. And she rushes over to him and she's like, "You, this is not a phaser wound. That's a bullet. And he gives her this device and he says, there's been an attack in the past and you're the only one who can fix it. And then he dies and there's another whoosh. And I thought, timeline just changed. Yes. (laughs) Although the Enterprise looks remarkably the same on the interior. (laughs) But yes, you know, that's, that's the thing we think we know if one thing changes that it actually wouldn't look the same or this or that. But that isn't actually necessarily true because wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff can take a variety of forms. You yes, I made a doctor. You just brought the doctor into it. You yeah. just brought the doctor in. I did. I did. Sorry. Um, I'm a girl who really likes her um, long-running science fiction stories. So. Oh, same. You don't have to apologize to me. <laughs> Yeah. I think it gets to be too much on the bridge. I will admit that is one of one of my issues with the episode. But mm-hmm. um, you know, again, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right? Right, right. It's reasonable to believe that certain things change and certain things don't. And there's an interesting thing that Sarah says later in the episode about that, about time pushing back and events reinserting themselves, etc. But, uh, you know, because honestly, do we know how time works? No, we we don't. What do we know about our universe? About 4%. We know we have about 4% of knowledge about our entire universe. So who knows what's out there? That's what we have Star Trek for, to speculate on what's out there. And that's why it's fantastic. So finally, we're, uh, she's, she's, he says, get to the bridge. She goes to the bridge. And it's not Pike sitting in the chair. It's Dun 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 James T. Kirk. Yet another alternate universe, James T. Kirk. I, I'm pretty sure that later in the season we're gonna get to see prime timeline Kirk more, just from things that Paul Wesley said on the ready room. So fingers crossed that he and Laon cross paths. That will be an interesting and intense meeting, if and when they do. Well, I know that Paul and Christina really loved working together and got along extremely well. So it would be a shame to let that chemistry not kindle again on screen. So, uh, and and I love the side eye that everybody gets lost. Yes, there's like, this pause and everyone turns. Like, who the hell are you? <laughs> That's basically what Kirk is saying. But he's saying, excuse me, ma'am. I hate the word ma'am. I don't know why. But if anyone calls me ma'am, I said, do not ever call me ma'am. You call me yes, sir. You do not say yes, ma'am to me. <laughs> Very savic Star Trek too, right? Um, yes. Go with the yeah. sir. There you go. <laughs> That's why I was like, don't call me ma'am ever, ever. That's for, you know. That's for nobody. You don't need to call that. Say madam if you must, but but ma'am just sounds so, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way for some reason. It, maybe it's because it's been used too often in a way that isn't complimentary. Ah. But, but that's that's just me. That's just my personal feelings on it. Uh, basically, no one believes her story, <laughs> much less Kirk. 
and she asks if they can talk in private and uh and we have some different people on the bridge we still have erica we still have uhura mm -hmm. um didn't see many other people really on the bridge to know if who was else was different but uh, finally we get uh, our credits our opening credit sequence which i will never skip thank you very much amazon you can tell me to skip intro all you like. I'm never going to do it. No. So. They're beautiful. Oh, before, I, I, I skipped ahead a little bit. They didn't actually go off to talk before that. Um, the credits just happen. And then when we come back from the credits, uh, there is a Vulcan ship hailing the Enterprise. And this is the United Earth Fleet now. This is no longer Starfleet. No right. Federation of Planets. We don't know all of that yet until... Pike still Pike until Kirk answers the hail and says, you know, this is the United Earth Fleet Ship Enterprise. And uh it's Captain Spock of the Shirelle. Yeah, that's a little step too far. <laughs> no, if if the if Vulcan and Earth, if those planets are not working together, if they are not allies, the best he can say is the enemy of, of my enemy, right? Then, then Spock doesn't exist. You can't you can't change the timeline 200 years ago and remove the way the people's parents would have gotten together and such that far back and show that kind of difference. And one of the things I love about Star Trek is for the most part, it really expects a lot out of the audience. And I thought mm -hmm. that was that was a point where they were asking us for credulity that they didn't earn. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked with any Vulcan there, but Spock couldn't have existed given the premise of the rest of the, of, in fact, the premise of that very scene. So those were the little things that just ugh, hit me the wrong way because you can't, you can't have everything and you need to, you need to keep the consistent logic of the scene. But I do appreciate that the scene itself, if you take a lot, uh, Spock out of the picture, does establish what a very different timeline we're in. You know, indeed. And see, in my head, I'm going, okay, so Sarek met Amanda and there it was like Romeo and Juliet and they shouldn't have they should have been kept apart because Vulcans and humans hate each other. And she ran away to be with him and they had to hide. <laughs> so I'm making all this up in my head to justify it. <laughs> Maybe that was just me. Fair enough. No, that's fine. I absolutely. I, take your point exactly i'm just romanticizing it because i'm good at that <laughs> and anything that has spock in it don't take my spock away i will hurt you <laughs> is there anything he doesn't look good in i mean really <laughs> that was that was quite the uniform I will it say. was <laughs> yeah it was uh it was very it it seemed a lot less a lot less vulcan than the vulcan that we knew it seemed yes uh, probably more romulan in, in fact you know I, I see that exactly it very martial and uh mm. and very severe in a kind of we're fighting an apocalyptic war kind of way right yeah but that visually also triggered um our understanding I think of of how how much has changed there so I think I think that worked but it, it was it was striking to to get a lot of information there sort of implied about how badly things are going for both sides. And for Kirk, 
to turn off uh, or turn away from that request for assistance so quickly also spoke volumes, I think, for how badly things are going, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like, sorry, we got our own problems is basically what he says in far more words than that. <laughs> So the whole, I really wish there was something we could do to help. And I thought, you say that with your words, but your face doesn't communicate that at all. <laughs> you're yes. just, you're just saying words at this point. And now we're getting to the point where I have to put on my glasses to see what I wrote down. Put them nearby. Here we go. The crazy thing is, is that I have contact lenses so that I can see far, but I can't see near. And then when I'm wearing my glasses, I still can't see near. <laughs> so I have to have reading glasses. Uh, the listeners will enjoy that. Okay. So uh, well, they're fabulous. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Uh, so Lon is uh, pretty good at taking the situation and taking on in all of the information that she has so far mm -hmm. and realizing that her timeline is probably gone. Right. So she and she said that the man told her to get to the bridge and uh, you know this is when she says let's go talk in private and she explains everything that happened and he's not buying it at all he thinks you know the the simpler explanation is you've lost your mind and i'm like you know that was this chauvinistic and i didn't appreciate it <laughs> and it's kind of a 60s kirk thing to do <laughs> for being honest <laughs> And he, keeps listens. I mean, he, he does, I, I will give him credit here. He does multiple times sort of play devil's advocate and he yes. say, you know, someone else would say, or another way to look at this would be, I shouldn't be doing anything right now. I should just be waiting to get home because, mm -hmm. you know, helping you would only mess things up for me. Or, you know, it could be that you're crazy, but, but he doesn't go with that. He voices it. And then I appreciate the fact that the, the rational Kirk, the Kirk who is supposed to be the stack of books with legs, does kick in. I I wanted, I wanted uh, Paul Wesley to convince me this time around because I I haven't been fully um, convinced of his portrayal yet. And of course, he's not our Kirk. No, he's another not our Kirk. Kirk with another, you know, a lot of baggage and a lot of experiences that we aren't privy to. But uh, but I thought he brings it around but you're right he does give us a tour of 1960s and he does give us we're kind of waiting to see where he lands as he's talking through these things right mm -hmm. and i my first thought when he said that i was like oh oh laon's gonna get you for that later <laughs> inferring that laon has lost our mind she is one of the most sensible people <laughs> right i have ever seen in star trek so Oh, such a yeah. good character. Yes, I agree. She's amazing. She's amazing. Uh, Christina is amazing. Uh, she's she's so good in this role. And I love the, the territory they're exploring with her. That mm -hmm. um, uh, she, she basically just doesn't take his crap and said, look, this is what happened. The man told me to get to the bridge. And I think you're supposed to help me. Mm -hmm. And they start to argue. And he's uh he grabs the device and one of them i'm not sure which really accidentally presses the button and oh they're now in another time i'm like oh welcome back to the 21st century woot 
and <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite scenes is his little meltdown <laughs> when he realizes what's happened and stabbing the button repeatedly yeah, like that's <laughs> gonna work it's like if it didn't work the first time what it's like people stabbing the elevator button over and over again that doesn't make it come any faster Exactly. It really doesn't. In fact, you could break that button. I've watched it happen. <laughs> so please don't do that. <laughs> no. So um, according to Memory Alpha, they are in the year 2022, but I don't recall seeing anything on screen that could 100% confirm that. But then Memory Alpha has very good sources for their information. So I'm uh, willing to go with that on, on there. And uh, it's cold, <laughs> they know that much. And they're gonna have to uh, find a way to uh, get warmer clothing and survive the night, basically. And uh, she even says, it's uh, this is actually pretty good for Can Canada at this time of year. <laughs> I really appreciated, uh, for, for a variety of reasons, the mm. fact that he just assumes that it's, it's New York. And that it wasn't, that it was Toronto instead. Um, whether that's, you know, a nod to the fact that <laughs> William Shatner was playing this U.S. character as a Canadian, <laughs> or whether it's a nod to the fact that it seems like there is this U.S. centrism in a lot of the storytelling. Of course, you're going to go to the U.S. Where else would you go? Well, actually, there's a big world out there. I liked the fact that they made it Toronto instead. I thought that was a clever, a clever little riff there. Definitely. I also saw it as a little bit of a nod because so many things are filmed in Toronto as different okay. places. Mm -hmm. And that, that immediately occurred to me. It's like, how many times has, have people filmed in Toronto and made it out to be New York? The answer is a lot, <laughs> a lot of times. And uh, so I was very happy when Lon was just like, no, it's Toronto. Like he's a complete idiot. Largest city in Canada? <laughs> Canada? Politeness and poutine? <laughs> that was very clever. <laughs> and maple leaves? It's just, oh, all of the things that we associate with Canada. Um, <laughs> I've never actually had poutine. I'm looking forward to the day I can have it. Um, someday I'm going to get to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> just for poutine so, uh, so uh yeah i i do love that she has she's the one that has to school him on where he is yes they're definitely um he's definitely being very whiny very whiny and uh, lon is just not tolerating it and he's trying to put all of this on her well that was the two-person situation I mean, he's the one who started struggling with the device. And if he hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in this situation, would they? So who's at fault, Jim? Who's at fault? Hmm? 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 And uh, she basically just says to him, this was done to me as much as it was done to you. Right. And let's get going here. So uh, we do find out that uh, he was born in space on the USS Iowa. Wink, wink. Very clever. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I liked that. A lot of people, I think, were probably expecting to say if he was born in space, they're going to say it was uh, another ship, you know, maybe tying it into the Kelvin movies. But they didn't do that. 
<laughs> they went with the USS Iowa. So I appreciated that. Yes. Uh, they've got to find clothes. Uh, they go to a basically a, a mall sort of area and go to a root store. Now, this is interesting for me because in 2002, we hosted the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. And Roots designed all of the Olympic clothing for oh. that for those Olympics. And I still have my Roots beret somewhere, which is too small for my giant Celtic head. <laughs> I still have it nonetheless. It's even adjustable, but even if it at the largest setting, still too tight. Gave me a headache. But now it's also sort of Star Trek memorabilia in its own way. Mm -hmm. I like that. That makes me happy makes me very happy and they go and change clothes and they come out in basically the same outfit i you know it, they it just kept walking up to the line and and staying on the right side of it for my taste but i gotta admit i loved that particular moment especially because it's also it's also saying these characters have a lot more in common than you mm -hmm. might think you know i right. mean it's working at several levels first it's hilarious <laughs> but but it's also you know it's it's these are kindred souls and they're going to figure this out and they're going you know this is it, I, I liked the way again there's some great visual storytelling here in a lot of ways and and I, I thought that that worked beautifully <laughs> it, it was it was great and basically they just look at each other and I guess whatever he saw in Laon's face told him uh he's got to be the one to change <laughs> that's right <laughs> she knows goes, she looks good and you're gonna have to go change your clothes yeah. yeah and he goes back in the dressing room but doesn't close that curtain all the way does he she does not what no. a flirt <laughs> <laughs> even in these dire circumstances he's like i'm gonna take off my shirt but you know i'm just changing clothes right wink wink <laughs> and she case anyone forgot this is james t kirk here mm -hmm. he is taking his shirt off yes exactly yeah. <laughs> yep yep had to happen i appreciate that she actually takes a gander for a second because honestly do we know if she's even ever had a relationship again it feels like she's freed here in this this strange little interlude that's outside of her time and space to to you know <laughs> experience things i i don't know that we have any any background of her having a relationship like that so yeah or or that she would even allow herself to go there i mean she's now of responsibility and her sense that there is a barrier between her and everyone else here is a different place in time i i i agree i think it's significant that she lets herself look you know indeed because in order to have a relationship some with someone, even if it's only physical, there's a certain amount of vulnerability that comes along with that. And Laon doesn't do vulnerable. She she had to do that with her time with the Gorn. She doesn't do vulnerable anymore. Right. So seeing that little crack in her armor was a nice touch. It was. And even her kind of rolling her eyes at herself after she turns away. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> we gotta do this thing. We gotta, right. we gotta figure out what's changed in the past. But oh, that's a nice... Oh, never mind. No, no, don't think about it. <laughs> so uh, I I do love the how quickly 
Laon adapts to the circumstances that they're in, how observant she is, seeing that there are tags on everything that right. will set off the detector and putting something with a tag in somebody else's bag and then using that as a distraction to leave with the with the clothing that they have. Thinking like a security officer, right? Mm-hmm. She's even in a completely different context. She's she's on the job, you know? Yeah. She's a very good security chief, I must say. And they determine, of course, that they have to come up with some currency. <laughs> and Kirk decides to earn some money by hustling at chess. <laughs> this is one of those those little nods that I, I really appreciated. Again, anchoring not not Strange New Worlds Kirk, this alternate Kirk, fair enough, but still alter, uh, anchoring Kirk in what we know about Kirk. Mm. Whether it's the chess, I mean, we, that goes all the way back to where no man's gone before. Uh, in the original series, seeing him play chess, we see him play chess throughout canon. So that's even later on the little nod to a uh, piece of the action with the car and the mm-hmm. ability to drive. You know, there's Agreed. just hints of of anchoring that in canon. Yes, this is a different Kirk, but it's the Kirk we've known for decades. You know, and yeah. and I like. I like the fact there's a continuity there and they're building that continuity, even as they're showing us how things are different and, and how that character has experienced such different things. It's really nice because it's not a lot of in-your-face stuff. It's just nice knots. Exactly. It's not over-burying you in that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I still think, though, that how could he have earned enough money to for them to stay in that hotel that they did? But we'll get to that. <laughs> So, I mean, were there some $100 bills in there? (laughs) Also, thank you for using Canadian money on screen. We appreciate that. Good point. Maybe maybe Toronto's um, street chess uh, scene is a lot richer (laughs) than than one would expect. I don't know. I thought the same thing, though. Uh, I didn't realize an afternoon's chess would get you that kind of hotel room. (sighs) Yeah. All I can think is to justify it is maybe he gave some of it to her and he was only counting half of it when they're walking away. So they gotta, they gotta find something to eat. Uh, well, Laon's not really thinking about that, but they pa- pass a hot dog cart and Kirk's like, Oh, hot dogs, let's get hot dogs. And she doesn't want a hot dog. Um, I wouldn't want that hot dog either. There's nothing on it. You don't need a plain hot dog. What is that? mustard at least come on i was waiting for her to say you don't know what's in those things right the, my, my vegetarian self was going oh I don't eat that oh <laughs> uh, yeah um but I you're right, you. no relish no mustard no nothing right yeah if if i'm going to have one it's going to have relish and mustard and <laughs> i'm not even really that big of a relish person i like it on hot dogs and in my egg salad that's it um <laughs> Actually, no, I probably would eat it with other things. <laughs> As a child, I hated relish, but it's interesting how we grow to appreciate certain things. Hated relish, hated, hated mushroom. Now love both. There you go. Uh, he likes that hot dog so much, he has to go back and get another one. Yes. I, I still want to know how much the hotel costs. So they're they're in the hotel and Laon is writing down a list of everything that she remembers. And she invites him to do the same. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> 
but we've already had that glimpse. I really liked that moment where he was looking out the sh- at the ship and looking at the sunset. Mm-hmm. And you get that sense. He's, again, he's a Kirk we recognize who's saying, wow, look at these great things. But you realize that's also rooted in all the deprivation that he's experienced. He doesn't have an earth to go back to that's whole, right? It's a ruin and there are no sunsets. And he doesn't have the experience to walk around and enjoy these things because of his timeline and the devastation that's there. And and so I like the fact that she's picking up on what a terrible timeline that is. And and he's also picking up on the fact that she, her timeline is a is a better one, you know? Yeah, they actually have a discussion about futures diverging. Mm-hmm. And why is her timeline the one that should be saved? And and this going back and forth. And he's again playing devil's advocate. And she finally just says, My earth still has sunsets. Yes. And that that line hit. I, I liked yeah. that. And I also yeah. found it really powerful. First of all, he's listening to her, and we realize mm-hmm. that he is he he is taking her seriously and he is listening to her the and 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 ingesting what she's saying. And it, it's a big picture thing for him, right? That these these two timelines, one is a is a dystopian future and one is much more utopian. But it also becomes personal for him when he realizes his brother is alive mm-hmm. in that other timeline. And we realize he holds that onto that really tightly through the rest of the episode because, you know, with his dying breath, he's going to be mentioning his his brother. And I, I think there's, a, again, a lovely personal connection there we know that when he weighs everything he would choose the right timeline anyway he would choose the one that is the the from our perspective the better one um and and be willing to sacrifice himself but the fact there's also that personal connection there he's thinking about the fact she lives in a world that his, his brother lives in too i i liked I like those moments there, those hooks that that really give us a glimpse into a three-dimensional personality mm. there and motivation as well. But also the fact he's he's really paying attention to everything she says. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, I appreciated that about him. And I think that that's something that harkens back to our original Kirk, even though I have never been a fan of William Shatner's Kirk. <laughs> He was my least favorite part of the original series, but that's, that's just a personal thing for me. I I don't know. It, it, it started when I was very, very young. And as I grew up, I thought I, I will start to understand why I feel this way and probably change my mind. I never did, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that I dislike Kirk in a way that prevents me from enjoying Star Trek. So it was no. just the the, uh, the character, yes, the performance, mm, no, but uh, I I think it harkens back to that Kirk because Kirk of the original series was very good at listening. He was he was very good at listening, and he took if he convinced if he was convinced you were speaking to him in good faith, he was going to weigh everything. And one of the things I appreciated about him was he wanted people around him who would disagree with him. And that's Spock and McCoy were there for that. But we see in really key episodes of the original series, 
um, balance of terror is one that comes to mind. He, mm. he gets a, a group of people around him and he wants to hear every side and he wants people to talk back to him. He doesn't want yes people. He wants people who are going to challenge him and give him different things to weigh, different perspectives to to put in this mix and try to balance and, and uh, you know, discern between. And and I think I think you're right. I think that really comes out in this performance too. And it does gender uh, species doesn't matter. He he is interested in the truth. And and I I like the fact that he takes once he's convinced she's she's telling him, her, you know, she's speaking truthfully and she's not a spy or or something else. Uh, he takes what she says very seriously. And by the end, he's saying, you know, what's our play? This is your yeah. mission. What's our play? And he's following her lead. And I, I, I appreciate that. Agreed. Uh, but uh, also in, in Balance of Terror, we learned that Kirk, it will not tolerate bigotry, period. Right. Leave that in your quarters. Yeah. You don't want it on this bridge. Exactly. Mm. Uh, I I love that Paul Wesley uh, is embodying these things without being an outright. He's not aping Jim Kirk. I agree. I agree with that. Um, and I think, I think to just to throw in, Chris Pine did the same thing. I think mm-hmm. he, he got it without doing a Shatner impersonation. I think both of them. And, and again, Paul Wesley really impressed me in this one. I, I wanted, I want to like his, his, his interpretation. And I really did in this one. Yep. I, I was in the same boat. I wasn't sure how I felt about Paul Wesley in season one and I thought do I really want another Kirk of course I thought the same thing when they said that Spock was going to be in season two of Discovery and I'm like do I really want another Spock because most people know I did not enjoy two of the three Kelvin movies (laughs) and so I and I I felt like this I felt like though Zachary Quinto is an amazing Spock I felt like the writing for Spock didn't work for me a lot of the time so especially in Into Darkness but (laughs) (laughs) but that's again opinion that's opinion not fact because i know the difference it's just (laughs) my personal preference and so i just didn't want and and then when they finally announced it was ethan peck and i'm like that sounds familiar and i actually had seen him in things but it'd been when he was a lot younger and so i didn't make the connection and then i saw that picture of him with the nimoys and i'm like oh oh this might be okay yes (laughs) And then hearing the voice in the in the teaser trailer they did, hearing the voice, I'm like, okay, that gave me shivers. Um, this <laughs> this could be good. This could be good. And you know, look what we have now. So low. it was yeah. good. <laughs> yes, and low. It was good. And so uh yes, I can I, I'm the kind of person that I like to give people a chance now because Ethan Peck turned me around completely on Spock. I didn't think anyone else could really embody the character right, but he's done it, in my opinion. And uh, so I, though I wasn't really impressed with the the alternate future Kirk we got in the season finale, I thought, okay, but that's all I've seen of him. It's a it's an alternate version of Kirk. That's not a good thing to judge by. And even though this is still an alternate Kirk, we get much more of him. Yes. Yes. And there, there are certain things that Kirk is going to be no matter what his circumstances are. So, right. so I just, uh, I just really appreciate Paul Wesley now in a way that I didn't before. So. Agree 100%. Uh, thanks to, thanks to seeing how he does this. Yeah. This. Yeah. Maybe a believer. Absolutely. 
yeah, we needed that time. We needed this time with him being a fish out of water for a bit to see, you know, how he would adapt to these dire circumstances and possibly never going home and all of these things. So well done, writers. Well done on that front. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> What, this is one of my favorite visual effects, actually, is when the bridge explodes and you first see it in the reflection of the window. Yes. Oh, that was stunning. It was. It was amazing because, honestly, there obviously wasn't a real explosion. <laughs> right. Because the bridge wasn't real. <laughs> but, right. But it was so well done that you believed it. You well, believed it when it happened lulled you into a sense a false sense of security in that scene and so the shock of it also I think made an, an impact you understood why they were so shocked even though they realized actually that's that's part of our timeline but uh but but still it was just such a uh a perfect beat there and then the the actual visuals of it stunning indeed and that's when Laon remembers oh he said get to the bridge he wasn't talking about the bridge on the ship. <laughs> They're going to have to get down there. So they immediately go to the site and they figure, uh, La'an figures out just from looking at some of the wreckage that's being suspiciously uh, hoisted onto uh, carts and wheeled into a black van with no markings and et cetera. And uh, she, he sa she says that it's it's evidence of a photonic explosion so then they see the photographer who uh, later introduces herself as sarah whom i was suspicious of from the moment she showed up agreed agreed and uh, they want to see her photos and so she shows them the photos and that's when laon figures out about the photonic residue she basically just says thanks <laughs> because she says show me those photos and uh, Kirk is like what she means is would you please show us the photos <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and they figure out they've got to follow this van so of course they're going to go boost a car <laughs> right the poor guy just who dropped his keys who's just going about his day like normal and oh car's been stolen really nice was, car too it was i was waiting for the beastie boys to play in the background they didn't <laughs> but it would have fit it would have fit. <laughs> it would have fit it would have fit missed a trick there maybe or maybe they didn't want to be that uh, uh, that's right that would have been a little bit on the nose to be fair <laughs> that's i think that's possibly why they didn't do it we get to see uh jim do a really nice vulcan neck pinch that he shouldn't have been able to do but again different kirk folks and i remember all the outcry when there was the preview of the next episode etc i was like oh you can't do that and i'm just like maybe you could wait until you see things in context instead of having a knee-jerk reaction to literally everything exactly that that uh premature outrage doesn't make any sense to me, me um, either. read the book before you criticize it watch the episode but if it doesn't work fair enough but you can't i mean trailers are essentially meant to uh draw you in and say wait a minute i gotta see that right <laughs> so they're doing their job if they're if they're 
piquing your interest in some way, but you're not going to be getting the entire hour's plot in mm -hmm. a trailer. So give it, give it uh, the opportunity to tell its story before you go off. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I used to be the kind of person that I wanted to know everything that I could possibly know going into a television series or going into a movie. And now I've done a complete 180 on that. I want to know as little as possible. I don't want to know reviews. I don't want to know uh, what other people are saying on social media. I just want to go in and experience this without anyone influencing my mm -hmm. preconceived notions. And that has made my viewing experience so much better. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with social media and, mm. and a lot of the, the manufactured outrage and the, the, the reactions. I've never minded spoilers, like a plot point. I, I, I'm happy to know plot, but, but so much of what you see is just, um, you know, noise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just going to, like you said, color your experience and why why already to use fandom speak why why squick your squee before you even had the chance to squee right um for, for all you know it might be squee worthy so why why ingest other people's um reactions before you have a chance to have your own i i agree completely it's it's a it's a healthier experience to get to just be there with the text whatever that is visual or audio or book whatever it is yeah exactly it's just i i don't know i'm i'm just tired of people i'm just tired of people let's <laughs> just stop there just tired of people fair enough it's 2023 we're done people <laughs> yeah i'm just i'm just done uh, you know i haven't been that big on people for most of my life but now i'm really just like leave me the hell alone <laughs> which is why i'm hardly on social media and honestly the social media i have is very specifically curated to basically fan art and star trek <laughs> that's basically all the things that i see now. <laughs> good days so it, it works for me <clears throat> i'll never Excuse understand me. why people want to invest time in um in ingesting things or consuming things they actively dislike mm. life is so short if you're that miserable watching the show stop watching it you mm -hmm. know <laughs> yeah. watching things doesn't make any sense to me it doesn't make any sense to me either and there there are a couple of things that i watched not because i was intent on hate watching them but because they connected to something else that I wanted to know the background of it and both right. times that this happened I couldn't sit through the, the the thing still was so distasteful to me that I couldn't sit through it all in one go <laughs> and so it took me like four or five weeks <laughs> just trying to say okay I've watched 20 minutes I'm going to come back later and then I leave it alone for a week and then, so I was watching these two movies not at the same time uh it basically 20 to 25 minutes at a time because I would get to the point where I'm just like oh come on and then just shut it off <laughs> enough research mm -hmm. I'm gonna go take a break <laughs> and and that's and the thing is is that am I going to tell you what those movies are no because it doesn't matter because I don't sit around and complain about things that I don't like I would rather talk about the things I like so right. that's, that that's just me 
that doesn't mean you can't be critical. I mean, I've exactly. already done a couple of things that I didn't think worked, but on the whole, I think it works well. And I wouldn't be watching the series. I don't feel an obligation to keep up with things that aren't that aren't speaking to me. And it's abs, you know, Strange New Worlds is speaking to me, and that's why I'm here. So uh, I, I'm I'm with you 100 on that. I, I should have told you I go off on tangents a lot. <laughs> well, clearly I'm happy to I'm happy to go right along with you. <laughs> yeah. And and possibly one of my favorite lines in the whole episode. Yeah, I learned how to make plum wheat soup in the toilet. <laughs> Another Denobulan reference. He was in a Denobulan yes. prison for six months with a Vulcan roommate. <laughs> Cellmate, I should say. So her flox is smiling. Very, very big smile <laughs> yes uh john billingsley i adore you you will you'll always be my favorite denobulan <laughs> <laughs> and he's just such a great person as well he will take no crap but he will also um just do anything he can to help a person so well done sir uh yeah see there we go uh tangent <laughs> So Kirk, despite his initial problems getting the car moving in a forward direction at a consistent speed, is uh, they're 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 finally tailing the the van and sometimes sliding around the corners, <laughs> trying to keep up. And she she's telling him to be discreet. And he says discreet is his middle name. And she says, oh, no, no, you have the least discreet middle name. <laughs> He's like, it was my grandfather. <laughs> yeah, Tiberius. That was, um. that was such a that was such a great line because the moment he says middle name, you know everyone who is watching this is thinking, well, actually, I've heard of. <laughs> to that the timing of that that worked very well i love that yeah and she obviously knows his middle name but she doesn't know sam's that's the funny thing she she says so what's sam's middle name aurelius augustus benedictus <laughs> he's like no sam's his middle name uh but everyone calls him george it's just nobody calls him george this just cracks me up. It's, it's it's kind of weird to me that they would name Sam after his dad, but he doesn't want to be named after his dad, so he just goes by Sam. But it's like he's not like, obviously it's a different mental name, or else he'd be, you know, George II or third or however many George right. Kirks there might have been in the timeline. Right. So it makes me wonder, hmm, what's Sam Kirk's deal with his dad? <laughs> maybe it, it saved him from being little george as opposed mm. to big george maybe they mm. needed a way to when they were calling everyone to dinner to differentiate between the two it's possible it's possible they are not having a good time trying to keep up with the van the van gets away during this weird construction stop also it was obviously really winter in toronto when right. they were filming this Right. And I can't know um, in yeah. their hair and such. Yeah, according to um, Paul Wesley and and Christina Chong, they would be filming and it would start snowing and then they'd have to stop filming because they had an inch of snow covering their heads. And here they are in these leather jackets, freezing their butts off. I tell you guys, you think actors have it all cushy? They do not. 
you could see on the rim of her ear how mm-hmm. red it was getting. And I mm-hmm. earmuffs on her. Yeah. Kirk does a Fast and Furious move and basically <laughs> flits down another street trying to catch up with this van, speeds past a police car and gets pulled over and they're getting arrested or at least he's getting arrested they don't have laon in handcuffs but it looks like they're trying to put kirk in handcuffs and our our little photographer friend is back and starts spouting a whole bunch of stuff like oh are your cameras on for this stop no and saying a lot of things that are making the cops very nervous but it's interesting because it was on my third watch through and with the help of the subtitles, that I realized they didn't actually leave because of the things that she said. They left because they got a call to all get back to the bridge. Right, right. So she just flustered them enough to buy a moment's time there. And then, yep. mm-hmm. so interesting, interesting. Uh, I do love how he said that uh, his license is in his other pants. <laughs> right Uh, also fun was when he was giving her crap about her name and he says noonian sung like oh interesting interesting because you know just the father of augments and androids and whatnot exactly exactly but i i loved that unlocking of her character there when she realizes Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have any association that automatically attaches to her last name Mm -hmm. and so the big character takeaway for me in the whole episode that are the bookends about her being lonely and having so much to carry on her own and at the end she has even more but in the middle she got to be someone who had no expectations uh attached uh to her because of her heritage with someone who cared about her. And that just seems really powerful. You could just see in her performance there, um, this character realizing you don't know. That didn't just ring a bell for you. You don't know what that means. And she says, you know, it's not famous, it's infamous. But he just lets it drop. He doesn't pursue that. And I thought that was that was lovely. And that just explained so much of what came after that she felt freed. You know, we already saw that she was, she was felt free to take a peek and that sort of thing but she feels she feels like she's being accepted on her own terms and not with any attached <laughs> meaning because of her name I just thought that was beautiful from a character standpoint yeah she's so used to preconceived notions mm-hmm. regarding her identity mm-hmm. and uh, and interestingly enough he doesn't press her about it right. doesn't right. ask her he's just like well oh, okay and moves on and she says it's infamous not famous and he's like okay and 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 that i think is also a gesture of respect you know Mm -hmm. i i appreciated that part of his character too because he is a a curious person but he didn't press there and i liked that i like that for her too yeah it was very good now they are uh they are talking to sarah and she finally introduces herself he uh calls uh, they they introduce themselves he still calls himself jim because he obviously can't think of another name whereas laon calls herself vanessa yes interesting did she always want to be a vanessa or was it just, just 
Did she think Vanessa was a better name? And uh, he says, oh, yes, my wife, she was kidnapped by aliens. Because, you know, of course, Sarah's talking about how all this is due to aliens. Right. Which is not wrong. (laughs) This is true. In fact, she even says the enemy, Mm -hmm. the alien. Well, (laughs) in her case, actually. (laughs) It's her. (laughs) Right, right. Show me the lie. I don't see it. Yeah. Uh this is when um when they're talking that they decide to get some more information from Sarah, listen to her and and see what else she knows. And so they're going to go to a diner or cafe or whatever you would call it in Canada, cafe, let's call it a cafe. Jim is saying that the cold fusion reactor does exist and that it was the Romulan first strike and the beginning of the end for the planet. And then he gets to have poutine. Yay. That's <laughs> just like, poutine has gravy? <laughs> that that yes. absolute delight. Yes. Yes. Again, a really good little character note there. Oh, yeah. But now we found, now we found that point of divergence where mm-hmm. his timeline and Laon's timeline are, are on different paths, right? Yeah. So it wasn't the bridge. The bridge was supposed to happen. But this was not. And Sarah is misdirecting them with this suspicious man at the scene whom we never see again. And I just thought, yeah, no. And shows them this picture uh, that was taken by a a telescope. And it's a Romulan ship. Especially missing the bird on the bottom of it. But okay, maybe there is because they're incognito. They don't have the, they covered up the painting. That's one of the things I really loved about those TOS Romulans was their very flashy, colorful bird on the bottom of their birds of prey. (laughs) They do part ways with Sarah, which again, I still found suspicious. I'm just like, I don't trust her. I don't trust her. I don't trust her. She's just a little too helpful and she's not kooky enough to be as kooky as she's claiming. Agreed. I didn't see Romulan, but there's something there. We're not, mm. we haven't seen the last of her. Yeah, that niggled. I agree. I was thinking she was more like, you know how in Quantum Leap, there was a bad uh, time traveler, a, a bad leaper who was going around messing stuff up that Sam had to go and fix. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So that's, yeah, that's what I thought that she was, but I couldn't prove it. But Romulan, no, I didn't, I didn't guess that. So well done. Well done, Star Trek. Yes. Because I can usually figure these things out. So they know now that they have to find the cold fusion reactor and they have to stop the sabotage of said reactor because Mm -hmm. it'll take out the entire city, which, you know, why don't we have cold fusion yet? Or do we? And we just don't know it. Hmm. Conspiracy theories. Hmm. Well, I mean, how, how many things in history have we not known about that then come out later saying, oh, yes, we had this all the time. Sorry. And then we just forget that that's how we found out about these things. <laughs> because, oh, manipulators, they're so good at uh-huh. doing what they do. <sighs> so they need to find an engineer to figure out how to track this uh, radiation to find the cold fusion reactor. And of course, La'an thinks of Pelia. And I think 
what if she's not an engineer yet? And <laughs> so, you're right. <laughs> that was my first guess because this is 2022. This is 200 years, more than 200 years in the past. -ish. This is one of the things that really bothered me was how they got there. And that's the whole bribing a border guard. Uh, no. Mm -mm. With the security that we have no. these days, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I agree. Mm -mm. I agree. And also all of the transport that they needed, mm -hmm. how much money again? Win? Yeah. He, he... Four buses and a cab. Come on. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I agree. That was very, that was a very glib kind of glossing over a whole lot of stuff that just is is too much to swallow. I agree. Yeah, especially in the winter because it gets dark early. <laughs> so it was still daylight when they found her. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so the archaeology department is really just a big bunker. That was hilarious. <laughs> With the sign that says the archaeology department. And, and she, had, she ran out of room, so she had to hyphenate. <laughs> she made the letters too big. And the fact that they wasted how much time going from university to university yes. until the Apple store guy taught me how to use DuckDuckGo. <laughs> His delivery of that line really worked. I, I'll give it to him there. <laughs> it, was, it was the same as how excited he was to tell her that he'd learned how to make plumbing soup in the toilet. <laughs> just just enthusiastic but also like yeah i had to do that <laughs> yeah um it's and she has to talk her way in but eventually she gets to the point where i know your secret open the damn door right and she explains that she has to protect the future of humanity so Pelia is kind of like, okay, well, let's see what you have to say and see if you know my secret. And she says, oh, yeah, well, how else would I know that you're a Lanthanite? And that gets her. Yes. And they explain the situation and they need some way to, you know, make a basically make a basic tricorder so that they can track this cold fusion reactor. And she's like, I don't know how to do that. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally not surprised there. Uh, but that painting, yeah, that painting's there too. So <laughs> she's been hiding that for 32 years, <laughs> as well as a host of other things. Wow, I would, I really want to go back and rewatch it where I'm just pausing it so that I can see everything that's in that yes. shop because it's a lot. Whoever did the set decoration there, wow, my hat is off to you. <laughs> Yes, that is a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And you know, somewhere she's still got that. Oh, and, she absolutely does. So, you know, who knows what's going to show up later uh, from this mm -hmm. hoard that she's been collecting. But it is, yeah. I thought it was a, a nice little bit. I, I, again, I'm, I'm not sure it all works from, from the logistics and also the time that they lost going down there and coming back. But I do... I, I, I thought it was clever that we get her origin story as an engineer in a way out of all. Yes. Of interesting. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they discovered that, you know, divers watches, uh, Pelly is talking to them about divers watches and uh, they have tritium in them, which 
that reacts with phosphorus to make the the dials glow. And of course the tritium has run out in the watch, but the phosphorus is still there. And so she pries off the, the watch covering and Billy's like, be careful. (laughs) She used the right tool. She didn't just slam it down on the counter and bust it open. She's got finesse. And uh, they figure, you know, they'll take the watch and they, when the hands light up, that means they're near the cold fusion reactor. And she, of course, is wearing the watch. And this is another one of those moments where he's like, no, I should wear the watch. It's a man's watch. And she's just looking at him like, really? Really? Who cares? (laughs) So they have a very nice conversation in this mm-hmm. scene when they're walking the streets of Toronto, not knowing where in the heck this nuclear needle in the haystack. I have had the good fortune to go to Toronto a couple of times, and that's not a small place. No. So just to suggest I'm going to wander until my watch lights up, you know, that's that's a a tall order. But it did allow for, I agree, a really good conversation. With them freezing to death. Yes. <laughs> you could feel the cold, couldn't you? you oh. Oh. Which which was nice because it's been really hot here for the last few oh. days. So I can use uh, I can use a bit of winter uh, in yes. my entertainment. And uh, they talk about the timelines. He talks about how, you know, if he hadn't come along, like he did it voluntarily. <laughs> That she would definitely have frozen to death on the first night or starved to death because that hot dog saved your life. <laughs> and he does say, you know, if if one timeline has to be saved, he thinks uh-huh. it should be hers. Uh-huh. And she said, well, what if you could come with me? Because the device does protect you from the changes in the timeline. Which is interesting because I uh, it it reminds me of this old series that only lasted one season called Voyagers, and it was this organization of people who were time travelers that would go back and fix history when it went awry, kind of like Leapers, but not right, right. And uh, it had a very young John Eric Hexam in it, who sadly died later of a prop malfunction, a mm-hmm. gunshot wound to the head, but. It was, it was something that I happened upon accidentally, and once I started watching it, I had to keep watching it. But again, only lasted one season, and they they all had these uh, pocket watches, and the pocket watches was a device that took you to a specific time. And when you got to that time, it would it had two lights on it. The left one was red, and the right one was green, and it would be flashing red if there was something wrong with the timeline. I can see the the connection yeah. here, right? And so, and what happens is this guy accidentally ends up in the wrong place. They all have guidebooks and he ends up in the wrong place of this apartment with this kid and the kid's dog is, has grabbed the, uh, the guidebook and he's trying to get the guidebook away from the dog and uh, the kid uh, accidentally gets pushed out the window and so he has to save the kid. So he goes diving out after the kid with the pocket watch open and touches him and they're zapped to another time. The problem is now they have no idea. This guy has no clue about what actually happened in history. That's what the guidebook is for. <sighs> but this device, though they never really ever talk about it that I recall, 
obviously protects you from the changes in the timeline. So once the kid who is way smarter than the guy is the one helping with all of these things so that they can set right what went wrong, quantum leap, knocking on wood, and uh, then the light turns green and they can go on to another place. So it was it was a fun show, very short lived, but I was getting really big Voyagers vibes <laughs> during this episode, especially with the red and green lights. Right. So. Knowing That's everything it. had been restored to the way it was supposed to be, but also that idea of protecting uh, them at the time because of the device from from the changes. Yes, well, I I would think that just overall, if you had if you were a, some sort of time traveling uh, person who was fixing problems in the timeline, that would have to be a must in whatever device you need to use to hop around because if your life changes every time that you change a timeline that would be pretty disorienting at best yes. or you might pop out of existence, existence. so yeah definitely anyway where was i so uh, they're they're walking around they're talking and uh he she tells him he can come back she, he, they could try to come back with him and he said i'm not sure if one time if your timeline is big enough for two of me <laughs> like well ain't that the truth <laughs> ain't that the truth oh. and this is where she talks a little bit more about her heritage and he's like well why are you some kind of axe murderers like oh no we never use axes <laughs> <laughs> and she's explaining things and he's basically you know she's talking about the scarlet letter and right i i that was one of those books that i'm just like <laughs> i understand the story and all the symbology but it is so depressing <laughs> it's just oh i gotta represent for hawthorne i love me so <laughs> and that's fantastic he's an excellent he was an excellent writer i have no qualms with that but again, I'm the really emotional person that dwells on these things. And so when I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter in school, it destroyed me. I think, though, that it, to be devil's advocate, it works in the same way that if you think of like Hester Prynne and, and her isolation, mm -hmm. you're also getting that from this episode, right? Yes, because, yes. Because she has the opportunity there looking ahead she gets this moment where she could change things and never have that stigma and she she chooses against that but at the beginning and at the end and again I keep coming back to those bookends she's she is isolated she is alone with the weight she has to carry and I think that's an, a really nice nod in there in the sense that if you know if you cried at the scarlet letter you might cry at this episode <laughs> kind of thing but but you know they're they're tapping into Star Trek loves to to point to to literature right mm -hmm. um, and they love to say you know this this reference is actually a big thematic clue see you later if you get it you get it if you don't no worries but bringing that up I think it fits with this episode oh, it does too. absolutely absolutely agree and not and... not disagreeing at all that it is a perfect. No. 
I, it is. I love my heart to be broken. I mean, I want a, I want a good apocalyptic, terrible, <laughs> rip me into and then rip me into again kind of kind of thing. So I, I'm I'm there for that. But but I think they meant to do that is what I was trying oh, to say. Absolutely. I skipped a grade in school, so I was 13 when I read the Scarlet Letter. I think also there was a big part of me that was just I know it was a different time, but the unfair treatment of Hester Prynne mm-hmm. and also Pearl and just mm-hmm. it just and I'm like you know what there were two people involved in this situation and right. where is the other one where is the other one? where's the guy mm-hmm. oh yeah where he always is pretending like nothing happened and that he has no responsibility in this situation so I wasn't sad with how he ended up I'm like <laughs> no dude you did this to yourself you hypocritical jerk <laughs> right right no i think i think hawthorne would agree with you there oh, oh yeah that either <laughs> yeah i'm like well at least we got that out of it so it was uh yeah hawthorne good good on you dude <laughs> i'm sure he would roll over in his grave to hear me say that good on you dude <laughs> Really? Aren't you more cultured than that, Bradley? Well, no. No, I'm really not. I could be, but it's boring. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's funny because she she's telling him all of this. She's explaining it to him and he's acting like he doesn't understand. And then he's like, I'm just messing with you. And she starts to call him an asshole. But she can't finish because his lips got in the way. How did that happen? <laughs> And then her lips got in his way. So, you know, right back at him there. Yep. It was nice to see her feel something. Mm -hmm. And nice to see her joking and sparring verbally in a fun way. That's a perfect word for it because she was, you know, she was giving, she was getting it as good as she was giving. They were, they were equals there and they were, they were being tickled by 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 tickling each other in the sense of, of the humor and the teasing. You know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. it, I bought that chemistry there. And I agree with you. It was really nice to see her let go. Um, I think there's a, so many ways this could have gone badly and things yes. that I wouldn't have liked because, you know, it's television, beautiful people, let's throw beautiful people at each other. And of course, <laughs> something's going to happen. But this felt earned in a way that I I really appreciated because I'm going to be the first person who says, you know, I don't need that in, in here. And yet I thought this just hit every note right. Indeed, I agree. You know, I totally forgot to talk about the whole scene when they're at night at the hotel and she's sleeping in the bed and he's sleeping on the couch and and she's restless she can't sleep she starts to go into the other room she stares at him for a little while like she's gonna start a conversation or maybe something else and then she turns around and leaves and he Mm -hmm. opens his eyes knowing that she had been in there now here here's the thing that has always bothered me and is is still bothering me um why can't two grown adults sleep in the same bed? Is that automatically an invitation that something's going to happen? Are we not mature enough to just sleep in the same bed? I guess not. That's that's a very good point. One would think that that's something people would have gotten over. Um, yeah. Two exhausted people who, mm-hmm. 
desperately need all of their brain cells the next day and so really need to get some sleep you would think I, that's a good point that should be by their timeline something that's that's not that big of an issue but uh right and this chivalrous thing of the man sleeping on the sofa <laughs> whatever <laughs> there's a big bed <laughs> that's a bed for two or you could have got a room with two beds did you think of that right you're gonna be all all what's the word i'm looking for here um i can't i hate when i i know what the word is but i can't find it in my brain Been there. anyway it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) so they they have their second kiss and that's when he says you broke your promise because she said that she promised she would tell him if she saw the hands glowing and he sees the hands glowing. She says, you broke the promise. And so they've found the cold fusion reactor. Now, this is one of those things where it's just kind of like, hmm. Um, so does it just start to glow brighter the closer you get to it? And so you kind of use it like that? I mean, that isn't really exciting. <laughs> yeah, conveniently, they just... just... Oh, hey, here it is. Hey, that's that's Toronto's Corner. There it is. There it is. The the Noonien Singh Institute for Cultural Advancement, just sitting right there. Which just happens to be, you know, everything you need, the cold fusion reactor, uh, eugenics program, Mm -hmm. uh, base, you know, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, everything in one convenient compound there. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it's like the Walmart of secret layers. It's got everything you need. with a lot more security (laughs) that's right that's right your dna gets you in here you one-stop shopping Mm -hmm. so they try to figure out how they're going to get in there and someone comes walking down the the street or the alley it seems like kind of like an alley i don't know i didn't get a really good look at it and it's dark and uh, they put their hand on this pad and it opens the door and so that's kind of weird because if it if there's a genetic marker in Laon's DNA because she's able to open that door, does that mean that that person who opened the door is the one is is also you know from the same family? Or interesting question. I just I really just don't know. I don't know. And was that possibly the same guy that we were being misdirected about that was gathering up the the stuff oh, at the site? He kind of had the same build. I couldn't tell for sure. We don't really get to see his face. Right. Just questions, questions, questions that have not been answered. And maybe there is a deleted scene that would have explained some of that. But it was cut for time. Cut for time. Or is he just a security guy or something? And when you when you are hired for this job, oh, by the way, we're going to need a sample of your DNA. Don't ask us why. We're just going to be wiring all of these secret uh, pads here uh, to recognize you. It does seem a little suspicious, doesn't it? it Yeah. Interesting interesting questions there. Yeah. Uh, Just just things that make me curious that sometimes these things don't occur to me until I'm doing a podcast, (laughs) which is what happened just now. (laughs) So so, uh, on on a a dare or a, a hunch goes and puts her hand on the pad and it unlocks for her too. Yes. And now we've got the return of Sarah and oh my gosh, I'm so surprised to see her there. 
said no one <laughs> said no one and she uh she basically knows that it's kirk and she knows they're from the future and she said it was embarrassing how long it took me to recognize you <laughs> and i'm thinking maybe she is a little loony because she does have a bit of an explosion at lawn about how time is fighting back and reinserting itself into events and you know, this was all supposed to happen back in 1992, and I've been stuck here for 30 years. And she still hasn't gotten used to the ears. Hmm. Does does make you wonder, doesn't it? It does. So yeah, well, but that you know that happens after they get in there. But she says basically, you know, open the door now. And Jim's like, no. She's like, you're gonna help me. She's like, no. And uh, basically calls her bluff. She wasn't bluffing. She just point blank shoots him. Yes. I think it's a credit to his performance and to the dynamic between them, the chemistry that they've shown that that mattered mm -hmm. because he was in there for such a short time. And we know, we know there's not going to be two Kirks running around. They're just not going to do that to us. So we know he's not going to come forward into her timeline. So it, it wasn't, but, but yet that scene actually really mattered i mm -hmm. i thought it had an impact an impact in the fact that he said he wasn't bluffing you know he was <laughs> but but um but also the that wasn't a bluff i should say but also he goes back to this idea of sam he's been carrying sam around this whole time saying you know say hi to sam for me he's been mm -hmm. thinking since she told him that in her timeline his brother's still alive and that also got to me i thought that was well done I did wonder after he dies, do we just have a dead time traveling body there? I mean, are is the temporal office going to come and clean that up? Or are we just going to have a John Doe there? Or what happens to the Kirk body lying there in the hallway? That seems like a loose end you don't want stuck around there. But obviously, if she's got more to worry about at that point than, than what to do with Kirk's body. Right. Well, she doesn't have time to worry about that. And I'm pretty sure the Department of Temporal Investigations is not going to leave Jim Kirk's body just laying there. <laughs> but the timeline has to get fixed first, then yes. they can take care of that. Good point. <laughs> so which, you know, honestly, it's it all time. It's it's just a big sort of ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and whenever... When when the doctor said that, for some reason, I just imagined this giant ball of yarn <laughs> and all the different strands you can see with the wound ball of yarn. And so that's what I always think of now. I think of a ball of yarn <laughs> because blue wildly, timely, wildly, and trying I'm to wildly. unwind, trying I'm to unwind wildly. a big ball of yarn is ah, not yes. easy. <laughs> so interesting metaphor in my brain. Um, yeah. So the look, you know, after he passes away, the look that Laon gives Sarah could have killed were she, you know, telekinetic or <laughs> telepathic. She probably could have just killed her with her mind. And Sarah's like, nope, here we go. Let's go in. And she she goes to fight Sarah and Sarah just grabs her by the throat. Um, Romulans obviously have stronger uh -huh. strength. <laughs> uh they have a higher level of strength such as you know like vulcans do than your mere human so it's very easy for her to physically move on into the building and down the hall and of course we have 
her shooting people on the way just without discrimination. Yes. So, it, it, and I'm the person that thinks about that and thinks about the poor people that she's killed, Jim and three security guards. And and I think, you know, well, those three security guards, when they got up this morning, they had no idea this was the last day of their lives. And I'm the person who thinks about that stuff. And so I'm, you know, I, I see those things. Everybody's just like, yeah, yeah. Because in America, we're so desensitized to violence, but I'm always the one who's thinking about every person who died and what how that that impact that's going to have on their families because <laughs> i'm the weirdo so and i'm fine with that i'm fine with that that's just how i am and i've learned to embrace and accept it but it still it still really bothers me how absolutely unemotional she is about killing yes. these people no i think i think you're right that that this is also telling us something about how how cold and committed this character is to her plan of action because you're right these aren't these aren't the the scientists who are engaged in in you know eugenics and and prepping for a, a war um or or setting up a war not that that the war was intentional but you know not cry, trying to create super people or that sort of thing these are security guards they're not they're not necessarily aware of anything that's going on in these buildings Potentially, I mean, uh, the idea that that these are just random people caught in the crossfire, essentially, uh, that does tell us something about her. But I, it, it is um, arresting how cold blooded that was. That violence dished out there that way. You're right. And there's this handy sign at the end of the hall telling you where everything is, and that's <laughs> when we see the the genetics wing. So. And now it this the thing begins to form in our minds. Is Khan there? He shouldn't be there, but is he there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Time reinserting events, etc., as Sarah says. And she tries to appeal to Laan emotionally to to help her to kill this child, basically. And how she said, You can be free of him. You can have any kind of life that you want. But Laan's not that kind of person. She's not going to trade one life for another. I love how this connects to episode two. Mm -hmm. Because in episode two, Laan is told, you're not a monster. You are not the product of your DNA. You are, like everybody else, a person who is capable of making good choices and bad choices and doing good things and bad things. And they're in that hallway is is such a temptation. I mean, the, what she's being offered there is is you know part and parcel of the whole theme of this episode. I think here she's she is isolated. She has this to bear. She has been carrying around the legacy of being you know the the descendant of this genocidal uh, murdering uh, warmongering monster, and she could just. She's already just had a taste of it, what it's like to shrug all of that off and just be herself. And here this Romulan agent is giving her on a silver platter the opportunity to do that. But she is a person like everybody else who has the, the opportunity to make good choices and bad choices. And like you just said, that's not the choice she's going to make. That's not who she is. And I, and, and she's proving she's not a monster because she's not going to go in and kill a child. And I, I, I think that strikes some lovely notes of continuity with other episodes and also just shows it means something 
because we've just seen what it's like for her to shrug off the weight of her name for a while with someone who's just accepting her like she is. She, she was just offered the rest of her life that way. And she she turns it down. I really like that. I do too. And you know, I actually wrote down in my notes, it's like Nira said, born with the capacity to make choices for good or ill. So, you know, great minds. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're on the same wavelength there. <laughs> so, uh, they do she does make laon open the door but they have a very physical battle and mm. they are pretty well matched but laon gets a hold of that gun and she just shoots sarah better than she deserved but sarah as she's dying presses this little area behind her ear and her body dissolves mm. very interesting because obviously to me any time traveling Romulan who's trying to suppress human progression, if they get caught, they know that they have to sacrifice themselves because there can't be any traces of them left behind. Right. Because then people might know what they're up to and stop them. Oh no. <laughs> but she got stopped anyway. Yes. And then we have this this lovely and sad scene with mm. her talking to poor little con who's just a kid and she's drying his tears and she uh he he asks if she's going to take him away and she tells him you, you you're not going to understand this now but you're exactly where you need to be you're right where you need to be mm -hmm. because she now understands that if he doesn't become the person that he does that humanity is not forced to which as unfortunately it's just something I've been saying for a long time. We are only just in this time. I mean, not everybody's like this, but as as a, an entire species, we only do the right thing when we're forced to do that and there's no other choice. Mm. We just, we, I mean, look, just look at what's happening in the world. It's so many people who could make a better choice, but no, let's keep the status quo. We want to stay in power. Mm. We want to continue to be top dog, no matter what it takes. Who cares how many people die? Who cares how many people are now second-class citizens? We mm. have what we want, and you suck. I'm, you know, it's that's basically humanity in a nutshell for most of history. I want to say that we're better than this, but we keep proving we're not. And so, con has to happen in order for us to get our crap together. They're wrestling with this question. That, you know, every person who's taken a philosophy class and sat around at night, if you could go back and kill Hitler, would you kill Hitler? Baby Hitler, right? Um, and and I'm not always comfortable with some of the deterministic uh, messages that come out um, mm -hmm. with this, particularly because I'm not sure they're not, they are consistent with um, some of the other themes of Star Trek and, mm -hmm. and visions of history. But but what I so I'm I'm a little uncomfortable and I'm also uncomfortable with the idea of um, this is a great speaking of of the times we're in now this is a great time to say well you know the eugenics thing they had to happen because we're we are in, in a place right now where eugenics kinds of language or pro eugenics language and and rhetoric is is around quite a bit in alarming ways that suggest. Um, we should be very wary of just saying, well, that's that's going to happen. We need to tread lightly there. But what I appreciate about this, it makes me uncomfortable, but we're not going to solve these big questions uh, 
these are questions we've been wrestling with since we could wrestle with questions as a species. So I'm, I'm content with saying this is a thorny thing and they are suggesting it's a thorny thing. Okay. But when it comes down to it, you've got a woman and a child and Laan is the adult and killing this child is wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and I am on board with that 100%. I'm not sure you, you need to go to the to the uh, deterministic argument that this has to happen, but I do think she needs to show that she is not a monster, and she just did by sparing him. And so I, I'm going to be uncomfortable with some of the the suggestions there. While at the same time, I'm going to say these are thorny, you know, questions about the theory of history and of philosophy that we're not going to answer in an hour long show anyway. Um, but it doesn't all sit sit perfectly with me um the idea this has to happen but it does work for me at the personal level that you aren't going to solve things by murdering a child yeah and sense. yeah oh absolutely and oh. it just occurred to me that this is this is something that's been done in trek before but in the inverse way and that is in the original series with i want to say that the episode name is city on the edge of forever with edith keeler having right. to die or else yes. world war ii doesn't happen Mm -hmm. uh, instead, the the Nazis develop the uh, atomic bomb before anyone else and just take out the rest of the world. Right. So, yeah, it's the inverse. You have to let someone die instead that's of not killing parallel. them. That's and a great parallel. That's, uh, yeah, those two are extremely closely related now that I'm thinking about it. And they both end up kind of erring on a prime directive uh, applied in a temporal way mm -hmm. not interfering with history right in one case someone died let them die in the other case someone lived let them live right yeah. um and so it both that that also airs in the don't go mucking about with <laughs> with the timeline in the same way you don't go mucking around with another civilization yes um and so i'll i'll buy that I've got one other issue with this, and that has to do with what this does to canon. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if this is the right time to talk about it or not. <laughs> Why? Why wouldn't it be the right time? Just go ahead. Okay. Well, the the other thing I, I just want to be mindful of, and I'm I'm completely of two minds here. I mean, I see both sides. So this isn't necessarily a criticism. I just I I feel like I have to <laughs> bring it up if you don't mind. Oh, um, please go. So so this changes things. Um, not not her choice. Her choice doesn't change things. But what Sarah has just told us in the hallway, that um, they've been messing with the timeline that this should have happened in 92, and now it's 30 years later. And now we see a Khan who is much younger than he should be. Everything has been moved by by at least 30 years. And I, I read an interview with Akiva Goldsman, the showrunner um, in Cinema Blend, and he was talking about how this this changes the Star Trek timeline. We now don't have the the eugenics wars uh, when when the original Star Trek and later works like um, the wonderful uh, eugenics wars trilogy of novels by Greg Cox. Mm. None of this is taking place when it, when these works say they did. This is changing Star Trek canon. And his argument or the 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 argument here is that. If Star Trek is to remain in our timeline and to be aspirational in, in, as a future history, then the dates have to be moved ahead 
because we know having lived through the 1990s and having lived through the 2020s or the beginning of the 2020s that um, that these things didn't happen that they would be our past and I get that in the same way that for example you when the great the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury was originally published it had a certain set of dates in it and then later editions just shoved all those dates into the future because they realized otherwise readers are going to be reading stories set in their past, right? You want, if you want it to be future, you have to keep moving those dates. And so I get that because Star Trek is about the future. But this also changes Star Trek storytelling. And I'm thinking about things like the great um, past tense uh, parts one and two from Deep Space Nine that then have the sanctuary districts and the bell riots in San Francisco in 2024. Don't think that's happening. Um, if if other things have changed, perhaps, what does that mean for for other past views that are present views now um, of of Star Trek storytelling? I don't know what that means, and I also don't know how how if you factor in Enterprise and um, Discovery and their discussions of the temporal wars. How fluid is all of this? Does this change again next week? Does this change again next year? How, where do we put a pin in our larger timeline of Star Trek history? And so I think it's just, if nothing else worth pointing out, this changes all of Star Trek storytelling. And if we're aware of that and we know that means everything's still happening in the future, that makes sense. But I don't want to lose the baby with the bathwater in the sense of, of perhaps erasing some stories that definitely deserve to be remembered in some way or another if the timeline changes. No, it's a very good point. And it's something everyone needs to hear. So thank you <laughs> for sharing that. <laughs> I mean, it's a little of this, a little of that. I, I see the see the reasoning, but I'd also want to hold on to, to at least the messages from some of the, the Star Trek, you know? It's, yep. uh, it's challenging, timey-wimey, right? Wibbly yeah, timey-wimey stuff. In, in my head canon that I'm just building right now, um, the the Department of Temporal Investigations goes back and fixes that at another time when time, you know, when they can manipulate it back into the 90s where it's supposed to be. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Self-fix there. There we go. That's that's what I do. If, if something kind of niggles me, I just figure out a way to head canon it. <laughs> so, because I'm not going to let... Uh, good storytelling suffer by being leashed by canon so right. strictly so and and i know that some people just are really upset about the canon and that's you know that's fine everybody has their own opinions about things but that's the whole thing it is an opinion because it's a creative work and creative works are not objective they are subjective right right so that's uh that's one of those things where i'm I'm fine with people not liking the decisions that were made and changing things around. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm just really enjoying the show and I really enjoyed this episode. So it's not something that is a deal breaker for me right now. Right, right. No, I, I totally get that. And I just want to, I want to see the bigger pattern unfolding here. Yes, um, yes. But I, I totally get what Goldsman was saying about it's important to keep this in the future and to keep this aspirational because, again, as you pointed out already, that the messages in these stories are things we need to hear and mm -hmm. they are relevant right now. 
and suggesting this isn't our timeline because we know these things didn't happen in the 90s and such. And so this, this really isn't our world doesn't help <laughs> uh, in recognizing how applicable these, these stories are. I just want to think about other good stories too and how they how how they fit now, what that means for the larger pattern, I guess, the larger tapestry of Trek storytelling. Yes. And then, and you'll always have the naysayers. It's like, well, it's not the prime timeline. And I was, I was like, I'm sorry. Um, here's the thing. You don't write Star Trek. You don't own Star Trek. You don't get to decide what timeline Trek is in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if they say it's the prime timeline, we're going to say it's the prime timeline because they're the ones who created it. True. So True. it's, it's like, I don't know how we became this way, but people think that they have some kind of ownership over these cre creative works just because they're viewers right and that is where a lot of this vitriol comes from and they always think that they could do a better job they you know if they wouldn't have done that they would have done this are you a professional writer well then shut up <laughs> and hey that's what fan fiction is for exactly <laughs> Put it oh, on. McCormick got into Deep Space Nine writing because she was a fan fiction writer. Right. Uh, Lois McMaster Bujold is one of the best science fiction and fantasy writers around. She started out by writing fan fiction uh, for Star Trek. So you're yeah. right. Fan fiction is not a dirty phrase, y'all. There is a oh. lot of good stuff out there. Absolutely. 100%. So so, uh, yeah, the light on the device is green. Still um, don't understand why Laon left the gun in Khan's room. What is that about? That seemed like a catastrophically <laughs> large oversight right there. I mean, she had, <laughs> they had expended six bullets, but I'm pretty sure the magazine was larger than that. <laughs> so, Giant. But how many bullets did Sarah expend before she got to the Institute? I don't know. I'm just, I can't figure out a reason why they did that. And they did it very obviously. I mean, we mm -hmm. saw that there. So, so we were meant to see it. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, it's ominous. I'm not, I'm not sure either. I haven't gotten an answer for that yet. She presses the button. She's back on her enterprise. She goes to the bridge. Everything's normal. They're having an argument with Pelia about the Vermeer painting. <laughs> The statute of limitations on that expired years ago, decades ago. <laughs> and I like her little moment of grace there. Just let it slide this time, right? Yeah. Um, she's she's giving Pelia a, a get out of <laughs> get out of the brig card there. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I I do love that uh, in both timelines she's getting side eye <laughs> because of her entire right. <laughs> Poor Laon, she just can't win. So yeah, everything's good, supposedly. Everything seems to be back to normal in this future. So she goes back to her quarters and she's taking off her boots and she turns around and there's somebody sitting in the chair and it's Ugh. Agent Amelie from the Department of Temporal Investigations. And yeah, you never heard of us because we don't exist yet. And she explains that she can't tell anyone about any of the events that she experienced. And uh, Laon is really not happy about that. She's, she's getting upset right then 
she says, I've been through all these things and, you know, watched people die and I can't talk about it. Now she wants to talk. Right. Now she wants to talk and she can't because, <sighs> I mean, technically she could, but she wouldn't because it could mess up her timeline even more. Exactly. Just on a, a really dumb note, are high heels in the future less painful because Emily was wearing some really spiky heels? That is an interesting question. I I would need to, to have some <laughs> evidence of that because I'd like to think that's one of those things that's, you know, just uh, not a part of the future at all. Yeah. So, so I mean, seriously, they were like Barbie level of high heels. I mean, totally missed that. So I'm going to have to go back and that's, that's disappointing. I would like to think that <laughs> that disappears with our, our evolution as a species. I would like to think that too, but I've seen so many high heels in Star Trek. Oh, oh what do I know about the Department of Temporal Investigations? Very little. I'll tell you that. Very little. So she's got to uh, just deal with the fact that she can't talk about it. She can't do a log about it. She can't expound with anyone in any way about this harrowing experience that she's just been through. And she goes and sits on her bed and she calls Kirk. Mm -hmm. She calls our actual prime timeline Kirk. Yes, we finally see. And she has no idea what she's going to say. <laughs> obviously she's doing a lot of ums uhs ums uh he says do i know you and she says oh no we've never met i'm the security chief on the enterprise i was just calling about sam oh god what's sam done that was good what did that sam was... do was his first <laughs> question and she's saying that she needs this information for his file and she needs to know wh what where he was born. And that's when he says the same place I was, Riverside, Iowa. So back to the actual, you know, land-based uh, birthplace. Right. And she she doesn't really have anything else to say. She's, you know, she really would like to just talk to him, I'm sure. And she said he basically invites her to buy him a drink when they're on a star base together and he'll tell her a bunch of stories about sam and i thought i want to see that episode <laughs> yes yes there was such warmth there mm -hmm. and when you think about the other the other kirk without his sam right yeah. and now we see this you know brotherly humor here and and the warmth and that it's it really hit some good notes with very very short uh duration there that conversation but it packed a lot in and again there the both the charm and the chemistry was there um mm. which speaks again to, to you know how much all of that meant which uh I, I'm with you. I would I would like to see that uh, that interaction, but it was also heartbreaking because uh -huh. what you know she's thinking about because she just watched him die, you know. Yeah, and when she finally doesn't have a reason to keep him on the line, she has to hang up, and that's when the crying starts. And I was already to that point, like just when she was calling Kirk and it was Kirk who showed up on the screen. Cause I knew that that was who she was calling. That's when I started getting weepy. Right. And then after that, it's like, here comes the ugly crying. Here comes the ugly crying. I'm right with you, Lon. I'm right with you, sister. 
what a character journey she mm. had in an hour. That was that was remarkable and a remarkable performance too. I, I think. Yes. Where are the Emmy nominations? Come on. It, absolutely. Christina Chong, Emmy nominee. I would like to hear that. I'd like to see that. Awards for stuff like this. There's still such a bias against science fiction and fantasy when it comes yes. to any kind of awards. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand it. It's like be just because it's set in the real world, that somehow makes it better. No, you can tell so many other stories with correlations to our own world but by using science fiction by using fantasy and using these other vehicles to tell a story in a different way oh, and so i don't right. i don't know why we don't honor that mm -hmm. in our awards it just mm -hmm. pisses me off <laughs> you and me both no <laughs> you're exactly right but oh what an ending mm -hmm. and again the the way it ties back to the beginning and um and and what we know she had in the middle there with that connection with him. And also we know the choice she made. She made a choice. She could have laid that burden down, right? Um, she could have shrugged yeah. off that weight that she carries. And she she didn't. She made the right decision, the moral decision there not to be a monster, but to be back where she started. Or is she? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I suppose you could make the argument before she was so bottled up um when she was fighting Minga and 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 you know she was just um really locked down she had a lid on it and here at least she's letting it go in in a way um she's having a chance to sit with her emotions um that way but still it's it's uh it hurts it hurts so good you know it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a powerful gut punch of an episode I think yes my personal feeling, and I'm saying this having seen uh, screeners and knowing plot points through episode six, <laughs> ah. that I, I feel like there is still room for her to grow this season. And I feel like this has affected her in a positive way that though she can't talk about this mm -hmm. and though she has to keep this, she is ready to connect with people now. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. That's really so, good to hear. Um, that's that's my personal feeling. Well, that was my personal feeling before seeing any other episodes. But but uh, I and there's still stuff that I haven't seen and I couldn't talk about it anyway. But I really feel that she's going to have more to do in that particular arc of her character. Well, they've given us a lot of reasons to trust the writers with this. And mm -hmm. it, it just sounds like that continues. So um, as much as I'd love to <laughs> grill you on things you can't talk about, it's good to hear because there are a lot of reasons here to, um, in, in the first season and certainly in these first three episodes, I think, to trust the writers that they know where they're going with this and they're they're honoring the work that they're putting into this and honoring these characters and their stories. Yes. And Strange New Worlds, I know, was created to be episodic and and to but still to have these overarching character stories. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Voyager where they press the reset button after every episode. Oh, we still have the same amount of uh, shuttles as when we left Space Talk. 
even though this shuttle got destroyed on this episode and that shuttle got destroyed on that episode. And just... You're not supposed to notice that. You're not supposed to be keeping track. That's so I, I was old enough in the 90s to notice that. <laughs> just like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't still have a full complement of shuttles. What are you talking about, Chakotay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just love things like that. Yeah. I, I, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing Kirk, I do hope we see more of Pike because this has been Pike light in these first three episodes. And his story, uh, I don't want to rush ahead too quickly um, to to Kirk because I there's a lot more of Pike's story here. And uh, and so I, I don't want him to get lost in the mix. But uh, but again, I'm willing to see what the what the writers have going because uh, they've earned my trust. Agreed. And the reason why we have so little Pike in these first three episodes is because he just had a baby when mm. they were filming. These. True, true. Good reason for that. Good reason. Good reason for that. And I appreciate that they were willing to work with him on that because these things are important. This idea that having a baby is not a good enough reason to not show up for filming. You know, it's just right. That we've gotten better about that in a lot of ways. Still, yes. still stuck in the past on a lot of other ways um regarding having children and whatnot but that's the story for another time so but you're right behind the scenes there are very good reasons for that so yes and uh, one one other thing that paul wesley did say when he was on the ready room was that uh that cast is really like a family and really just works so well together and everybody's happy and respectful and he he had never experienced that mm. on a show before where everybody just works together and gets along all the time mm. <laughs> so uh, i i don't think he wants to leave anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> isn't that lovely to hear that's wonderful it is it really is because you get that feeling just by seeing them on screen you do but to hear that that's actually how it is, is mm -hmm. just, it, it warms my heart. Yes. We need, we need more of that. It's not everything has to be a battle. Right. Right. And, and work and, should be fun. <laughs> and if you're going to be presenting these ideas of, of people cooperating and unlike people being able to partner together for a better future, it it should come from a place where that's actually the walk that is walked as well as the talk mm -hmm. that's talking. Yep. yep, I've heard the same thing about Discovery. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good time to be a Trek fan. Oh, it is. It really is. It really is. All right. Well, I uh, I don't really have anything much else to say. Do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I've just enjoyed this immensely. And thank you for letting me go off on a few tangents of my own. Oh, um, please. I'm in, I'm the queen of tangents. And I <laughs> bestow upon you all the power to go on tangents anytime you want. <laughs> oh, well, I, I look forward to seeing how, what the echo effects of this episode are in the future and, um, and, and seeing what this means for larger Trek storytelling, but also what it means for these specific characters in this specific series and um it was just a joy to get to talk about it because I think it's any way you look at it it's going to be an important episode and I'm also really pleased to see 
uh, what's been done here in these first three episodes of the season. So I'm I'm looking forward to the next episode very much. Excellent. Excellent. I am too. Uh, of course, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> that's beside the point. That's, that's the funny thing about me is like, I don't just watch the episode once. I'll watch it three or four times before I do one of the podcasts, because I also have a live show that I do on Saturdays with my friend Dan called The Unready Room, Pimping Myself. That's usually <laughs> at noon mountain time uh, on Dan's YouTube channel, Kurt Ratz Productions, which is Star Trek spelled backwards, obviously. And uh yeah, we have a great time on that. He's he's a Canadian. So <laughs> so he's lovely, but I mean he's he would be lovely even if he were American, but I'm I'm glad he doesn't have to live here. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my way of talking about all Trek, all new Trek as it happens, because I can't do a podcast about every single series. I wouldn't have any time to sleep. <laughs> right. Yes. So so I guess all that's left to do is to tell people where they can find you in the vast wasteland that is social media and whatnot. <laughs> well, please do uh, find me at, uh, at amyhsturgis.com and there are links there to my social media. Um, mostly active right now on uh, Mastodon. I'm a big believer in the Fediverse and there are a lot of Star Trek people there, but there's other ways to find me as well. Um, so uh, there are links to all my socials there and uh, would also encourage you to find out about uh, the book, uh, which is Star Trek Essays Exploring the Final Frontier, which I co-edited with my brilliant co-editor, Emily Strand, and contributed an essay to. And that is out for purchase anywhere. And if you go to my socials, there are also, um, so, and, and your uh, notes, I believe, uh, um discount uh, codes, coupon codes for purchase, but also because it's an academic work, it's easily available in libraries. And so you can um, request either the hardback or the ebook version uh, via libraries uh, anywhere and um, would be thrilled if you did so. That helps us and it helps get the book out um, and accessible to folks. So uh, but do please find me online and, and say hello. And I uh, would love to visit with folks. Always happy to talk Trek. Excellent. And I do have a discount code that I will be putting in the show notes along with the link of where to get the book. So it, guys, really, honestly, it's I haven't read all of it yet, but I'm getting there. And it's amazing. It's really everything I could have wanted from for academic essays on Trek. And uh, again, so I, we were talking this about this before we started actually recording, but your essay is one of my favorites because it deals with uh, Star Trek Enterprise, which is so near and dear to my heart. I mean, they're all near and dear to my heart, but this one has a really special place <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> so oh, I appreciate that so much. That means a lot. Thank you. Uh, it's excellent. So it's an excellent book, guys. I'll have all the links for you in the show notes. So check those out if you want to pick that book up. I definitely strongly recommend that you do because it's it's really great. So there we go. We've gotten through another episode of Strange New Worlds as if it's some kind of burden. It's not. It's. <laughs> I love the show. I love Star Trek. So it's it's never a burden to me. But uh, we'll be back next week. I'll have a, another guest, and I'm not telling anyone who it is. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about episode two zero four. And until then, 
I want you all to keep boldly going. This has been Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. Our intro and outro music was composed especially for us by Eves Orwald, whom you can find on Facebook and SoundCloud for more of their music. Thank you for listening.